Welcome to 2X, the podcast where I speak twice as fast to help you learn twice as fast and grow your business in half the time. My name is Chin. I'll be your host. And in today's episode, I want to follow up on what we were talking about from the interview episode on Startup Fuckups, where I was talking to Jimmy Yang about uh, some common mistakes that early entrepreneurs make. Uh, in today, in this episode, I want to cover uh, the issue of finding co-founders. How do you find the right co-founders? How do you deal with dividing equity? Those kind of things. So first off, um, I think that the big one that I, I mentioned in the podcast before, but I just want to reiterate this, is a lot of people tend to dive into co-founder hunting uh, with that mindset of finding a co-founder. It's kind of like if you are going out in the dating scene and you're looking to get married on the first date. It scares away a ton of people, right? The word co-founder itself comes with a lot of expectation. People think that if they are joining a startup as a co-founder, it means that usually they think that they'll have to leave their full-time job. Uh, they, they think that they will be fully involved and, and they're vested on a whole different level. It may or may not be a good thing. Maybe you are looking for the person who's really interested and really vested in your business. But on the other side of things, maybe sometimes you just need a developer to, to build the app, to get the website up and running. Or maybe you just need a salesperson. Who knows? So you may or may not want to use the word co-founder when you're out there looking for someone. You could just say, hey, I'm looking for a developer instead. So... Uh, where can you find some of these people, some of these early, I would say, founding teammates instead of co-founders? Uh, my recommendation, and I personally think this is the best one, although the quality of it really varies depending on the event and who the host is, is attending hackathons or pitch events. So if you're not familiar with a hackathon, a hackathon is uh, an event where typically it happens over a weekend or maybe one or two days. And usually the format of a hackathon is it starts with a pitch. You, you, you present your idea. You talk about the problem that you're trying to solve. And then you go through a period where you are designing, developing, and validating your idea. So you might do some basic coding, build a prototype, uh, go out, interview customers, and, and try to see if you can get people interested to either sign up as beta users or possibly even purchase it. And then at the end of the hackathon, there's typically a uh, judging event where you pitch your progress over the, the period of the hackathon. So you talk about uh, what you've built. You might showcase or demo your product. Uh, you might talk about the traction and validation you've done. And sometimes there is a prize, sometimes there isn't. Uh, one popular hackathon that I think is one of my favorites is uh, Startup Weekend. And I think that the reason why hackathons or pitch events are such a great platform or place for you to start to find these early founding team members is because when you are pitching, you are attracting people who are interested in your vision. You are not recruiting with a role or skill-first approach. I mean, the role and the skill that you need is important, but what I often find with startups is that because you are in such a place where you are highly risky, where you're doing something new, where you possibly don't have the capacity to pay someone, you really need to attract people who are passionate about your vision, about your mission. Uh, if not, if they're just there for the quote-unquote startup experience, they're just like, hey, I want to try working in a startup. These people don't last very long. So you want to find someone who really resonates with your vision, with your mission of your business. And from there, then, you can obviously screen out the ones that you need versus the ones that you don't need. So you, you want to find the right fit. You want to find someone who is values aligned, someone who has the right skill, skill set that you're looking for. 
And and there, then there you can start to explore working with them. So the, the other interesting thing about the hackathon kind of format is if you do find a teammate through a hackathon, you get to do some due diligence with them. So you get to go through the process of working with them under a high stress environment to see how they perform. And that's kind of like a mini interview. And it gives you the opportunity to really see if they're a good fit. Uh, and obviously at coming out of the hackathon, because there is some validation or attraction done, it actually motivates a lot of the people in the team to continue working on the project beyond the event. Uh, obviously, if there's no validation, there's no demand, then that's a whole different story, right? So hackathons are one place. Uh, the next best place to start in terms of looking for a founding team member is your own network. Uh, and when I say your own network here, it could be the people that you know, because generally uh, you will tend to have a network that is similar similar to you in your ideologies, your values and things that you care about. So that's one place. Um, the second is if you have a business, let's say, for example, if you started a business and you're doing um, you know, some form of uh, a physical product or maybe you have pop-ups or maybe you have a community and you're planning to build some technology into it, if you already have something existing, then leveraging your own customers or community is a great place to start because your own customers already believe in your business. They already are passionate and excited about what you're doing. Uh, same with your community as well. So if you can lean on that platform, that's uh, a very easy and good place to start in terms of finding early team members, but not only that, but also future team members as well. So do continue to always foster your own community because once you've built that up, it's a really, really great place to find talent. Uh, the, the next level down then is getting referrals from people in your network. So do you have mentors? Do you have advisors? Do you have investors in your business? They would likely know people who might be a good fit for your business as well. So start to look for those kind of things. Um, and then if you really have to, this is where it becomes a bit harder is going out to those meetup groups or, or business events. Uh, if you do those, the, the problem I often find is you want to try to avoid skill-based groups. Like uh, I've seen like there are Hackers Nest, for example, that's a hack, uh, a developer oriented group where they bring developers together to have social nights. Those kind of groups, they are skill oriented and they're not interest aligned. And what you will find is it's quite hard for you to go there and look for the right developer. I mean, it is a, a room full of developers. So if you're looking for, let's say, a CTO or, or someone who can you know, build some form of tech that you need, then yes, it's easy to find that mercenary. But if you're looking for someone who is really passionate because you want them more long-term in your business, then it's going to be quite difficult. So you want to try to find interest-aligned groups. For example, uh, let's say if you're building some sort of solution that is related to um, kind of uh, preserving biodiversity in the ocean, then you may want to look for those kind of ocean-wise, uh, you know, ocean conserv conservation groups. So start to think about what groups can you look for that are somewhat mission aligned in terms of what your business is trying to do and what the business uh, what what the group stands for and then from there you try to learn and get to know some of the members and see if you can find someone who is the right uh, who has the right skill set that you need um so yeah that's uh the, the next place up and then the the last place to look for if you're really sc scraping the bottom of the barrel is kind of the call outreach and on the call outreach side of things, you're looking at things like LinkedIn, uh, AngelList, Indeed. Um, but the challenge really with there is usually it, it tends to be more compensation centric. That means you need to have some form of capital that you can give or pay them uh, instead of purely equity. So 
those people tend to expect some form of payment, um, you know, salary, compensation, those kind of things. So what, what then makes a good early founding team member? And, and uh, I think this applies not only early founding members, but just generally, as you build out your team, as you look for uh, gaps to fill and you look for people to bring on board, uh, what I like to look at is three things. Let, let's, let's use the word diversity to describe it. And when I say diversity, it's not so much about diversity in terms of ethnicity, skin color, nationality, those kind of things. For, for, for diversity, what you want to look for is, number one, diversity of opinion. Uh, diversity of opinion is good, but you want it to be moderate. So what I mean by that is, if you and everyone else that you surround yourself with have zero diversity of opinion, then you are in groupthink. These people are too similar to you, and it's really hard to be able to solve new problems in innovative ways. Uh, on the other side of things, if there is too much diversity of opinion, you will never agree on anything. So you want to try to find a, a moderate amount of diversity in opinion. And a good way to ground yourself in this is by understanding your personal values. And the reason why I say that is, you know, if you go out there and you recruit team members, and you go at it with approach that you're, you're number one, looking for people who are passionate about the same mission that you have. And number two, you want to understand their personal values. This will help you get to that good balancing point where they have a moderate amount of diversity of opinion. Because what I mean by alignment on values is if you believe in achieving the mission in, let's say, a way that is authentic with integrity and fun, and the people that you recruit share those same values, then most often you'll find that the decisions they make will also align with what you believe is right. Uh, on the flip side, if you bring on board people who have very different values, where maybe they are they care about security, they care about um, adventure, and they care about let's say you know uh, profit, those are those are all like there's nothing wrong with any of those values. Uh, each value is is unique and important for a, a different individual. But if you find that they, are, they they care about different values, they will make decisions that will align with their personal values and you may or may not like that. So just keep that in mind in terms of diversity of opinion. Number two is diversity of experience or expertise. Uh, here you want, uh, I would say, actually a maximum amount of diversity of expertise. The more different you are, the more different live experience you have, the better you will find you can come up with new solutions, new ideas, the more creative your team will be, and the more you will be able to complement each other. So ideally, you want people who are uh, you know, very different in terms of what they can do. Because if, if you are, let's say, a, a tech person, you probably want to find someone who's really good at sales. Uh, if, you're, you know, if you don't have a designer on your team, you probably want to fill in the gap, right? And then the last point is uh, minimum diversity of power. Uh, because if you feel that there is too much of a gap in terms of diversity of power, then they will feel like they're either reporting to you or there's going to be some power play, there's some politics involved, and you want to try to avoid those kind of situations. So even if you're building a, a, an organization that is not flat, the, the, the less amount of diversity of power, the easier it will be for people to take their own initiative, to come up with ideas, and to really drive uh, their own bus when it comes to leading new initiatives and programs. So when you think of diversity, approach it with that angle, and you will find that diversity as a metric, when you're looking at things like sexual orientation, gender, um, race, all of those things will naturally fall in place if you are looking for the right kind of mental diversity, but uh, kind of cognitive diversity pieces that I talked about. So 
kind of knowing some of those basics now, uh, one of the common questions that I often get is, you know, if you fall into this uh, kind of uh, situation where you're looking for an early co-founder or early team member, how can you compensate them? So let's quickly talk about equity and some other options as well. I would say that equity, number one, you can give equity to people and not make them a co-founder. So be wary of that because you don't necessarily have to give them that title of co-founder. If you do give them the title, do know it is going to be much harder to uh, sort of downgrade them or uh, you know fire a co-founder rather than to actually promote someone who is a good fit into a co-founder status. So you always want to try to be moving up instead of moving down. So the titles itself, although normally most people say that titles don't really matter much in a startup, that the co-founder title is something that you want to be a bit careful about when, when it comes to who you're giving this title to. Uh, so equity then, typically most co-founders get anywhere in the range of about, I'd say 10 to 20%. It is actually fairly uncommon to give a co-founder like, let's say, 33% or 50%, depending on how many co-founders you have. And the reason why is because as you incorporate a company, typically some amount of equity is going to be set aside for fundraising or for you know employee stock options or for anything else. So normally, you, you just as, as you incorporate, you just have to assign 51% of the equity. And that 51% is usually divided amongst your actual co-founding team. Uh, and the co-founding team, again, like I mentioned, like you could start yourself as a solo founder. You could still incorporate, you can own 51%. And eventually if you bring someone on board later that you think is a good fit for being a co-founder, you can give them a part of your equity. There's nothing wrong with that as well. So do know that they don't have to be involved at inception. Make sense? So on the equity piece then, Always remember, equity should never be used to manage poor performance. So if you're in a situation where you feel like you have to give someone equity because you are not sure if they're incentivized enough to, to work in, in, in the business, or if you feel that they're underperforming, then you're probably in the wrong place. Poor performance requires coaching. It requires a discussion that should be managed. Uh, so equity itself, it's more about ownership and getting people to feel like they have a, a stake in the game and they should naturally already be motivated to, to be involved. So if you find that you're in a situation where you're, you're speaking to these early either team members or maybe it is a co-founder that you're bringing on board, if equity is becoming a heated conversation, I would say that there's something bigger that's underlying that is a problem. And what is that problem? What is the underlying issue? It's probably an issue of trust. Either you don't trust them or they don't trust you. Uh, maybe because you like experience working with them, you don't know them long enough. Uh, maybe you're jumping into a co-founder relationship too early along. Or maybe there's something else telling you. Maybe there's some sort of gut feeling uh, where you instinctively don't trust them for some reason. Maybe they don't align with the, the mission or vision of the company. Maybe they don't share the same values as you do. So try to avoid those kind of situations. You, you don't want, uh, I would say, if, if equity is an issue, then the, the person is probably the problem. It's not so much the equity uh, piece. So even if you divide it, no matter how you try to cut it, uh, no one's ever going to be fully satisfied. And at the end of the day, even if they are satisfied, you will run into future issues if this person made equity a really big deal uh, in the initial kind of negotiation. Make sense? 
Um, so yeah, try not to, to use equity to manage expectations. You should really go into these relationships with mutual trust and respect. Um, I would say another thing with equity is there is no perfect way to divide equity. There's a lot of methods out there. There's the, the, the kind of common uh, reverse vesting method. And then there's one called slicing pie. At the end of the day, you want to try to keep it as simple as possible. And the reason why is because if you try to be too creative with allocating equity, if you do build a business where you eventually have to raise capital from investors, if they see something funny going on in your cap table, then they will typically take that as an additional element of risk and they will, will be hesitant to invest in your company. Not impossible, but hesitant, right? So uh, try not to have equity as as something that is distracting for your business. At the end of the day, you want to go into it with the mindset that you are trying to be as fair as possible and you want to let the other party know as well that things will happen, that there is no perfect way to divide equity. Someone will definitely, at some point, feel like they were shortchanged, right? That there's no way to really predict how the business will grow and what uh, is necessary in the future. So for example, you know, you could give a, Stella developer a lot of equity and then you find that once they've built a product they just sit back kick back and, and relax and get all the profits from the company and you as the salesperson or the business person needs to go out needs to hustle find the investors close deals and then you will find that hey why don't why am I not entitled to more equity why is this developer sitting on his his or her ass enjoying the, the fruits of the, the the benefit of the business so there, there is no perfect way. You just need to recognize that you are trying to go into this with as much respect as possible for the other party. And every you want to try to make sure that everyone is happy coming out of the conversation and everyone understands that no one is doing it intentionally where they're trying to shortchange anyone. Because if you come out of a, a equity negotiation discussion and someone feels slighted, someone feels like they got the shorter end of the stick, they will not be motivated in a company, no matter what you do. So even though you think it's a win for you, you think like, ah, I got to keep more equity. If they're not motivated, the company will not run well and you won't be as profitable and that equity isn't really worth anything. So don't worry too much about that, right? So the, the objective is really just treat everyone as fairly as possible and you're not trying to always get the best deal for yourself. So success is kind of a long play. It's more like a marathon. So every founder needs to be satisfied with their own uh, allocation of equity. Uh, I, I lightly touch on the idea of the, the method of uh, division and tracking of equity. Uh, I, I mentioned reverse vesting. I mentioned slicing pie. So let me go a bit more into that. Um, reverse vesting is the, the standard model. And the standard model for reverse vesting is typically... Uh, what you will say to someone is, I might say, okay, um, listener, you are entitled to 20% of my company. And it is vested over four years with a one-year cliff. So what that means is the one-year cliff is within the first year, if you decide it's not a good fit, or if we as a company decide that you are not a good fit, we can kick you out or you can quit. And the company reserves the right to claw back all of the shares uh, at cost within the first year. That means we can buy back, we can take back all of the shares that we gave you. Make sense? And that's just a safety thing in case people are not a good fit or if they lose motivation in the first year. And then rested over the four years, what that basically means is people need to earn their right to the equity that they are entitled to. So even though you say, I, even though I say I'm giving you 
you are entitled to 20%, but you don't get it right away. You get it over a period of four years. So for example, after that first year, you lock down 25% of that 20%. So that means you lock down 5%. You now own that 5% of the shares and you are entitled to 15% over the next three years. Make sense? After year two, you own the 20%, sorry, 10% of the 20%. After year three, you own 15%. And then after year four, you own the full 20%. So at any time, if, uh, you know, before the four years is up, if either the company decides to part way with, with the individual or if the individual decides to quit, then same as the cliff, the company basically reserves the right to buy back the, the unclaimed or the unowned amount of shares. So after two years, for example, the person locks down 10%, the company can still buy back the other 10% from, from the individual. So that's the reverse vesting method. It's the most common way. And that's what I generally recommend. And the, the other one that is uh, growing in popularity is this one called slicing pie. So you can definitely look it up. There's a whole book on it. It, it talks about how to calculate it. There's even formulas, a spreadsheet that you can use. Um, the, the nice thing about slicing pie is it's a standardized model, right? There are clear guidelines that are agreed all, by all, but at the start, um, it helps you better account for monetary contributions. And it kind of prevents what we call lazy founders who sit on the equity and wait for it to vest. Um, it's also a bit dynamic. So if things change, if you find that someone is actually picking up the slack and doing more work, then they actually get more equity as well. So it prevents the kind of unfair allocation at the start. Uh, and it, it just basically, all in all, addresses departures a, a bit better. The challenge I find with slicing pie, and the reason why I don't recommend it, is uh, slicing pie, in my opinion, uh, I think it overcomplicates things. It, it kind of puts you in a situation where you're doing either weekly or even monthly audits, where you're revising and coming back and saying, like, hey, here's how I contributed. Uh, here's how much equity I should be entitled to this month, those kind of things. And the other issue with slicing pie, I find, is it is hard to determine fair value of time. So for example, you know, if you have a programmer and you have a, a business person in a business, um, if you want to roughly try to allocate equity based on your investment of time in the business, you might say, okay, as a programmer, my time is worth 50 bucks an hour. Uh, as a business person, my time is worth, let's say, you know, 40 bucks an hour. I mean, the actual number doesn't matter. But the idea here is, Let's say if you are a business person, you go out to a networking event and you meet a potential investor. Right now, you don't know if that investor will invest, but maybe two years later, that, that investor becomes your lead investor and brings in a lot of money. It's really hard to track these kind of things and justify and allocate a, a fair value to it. Make sense? Another issue with uh, slicing pie is that, sure, it disin disincentivizes people who are lazy and just sit on their equity and wait for it to vest. But on the flip side, it, I think it actually incentivizes um, inefficiency. So people, quote unquote, spending a lot of time doing things. So they're doing maybe inefficient things or they're doing stuff that don't really matter for the company versus time that you actually spend solving proper problems that will actually be substantial for the business. So you, you in my opinion, if you want to, you can start with slicing pie if that's just an easy way to have that conversation. But most companies that start with slicing pie will eventually transition to a more traditional vesting model. Uh, and, and that's entirely okay as well. So again, like I say, don't, don't try to get too granular with allocating equity. 
keep it simple, make sure that everyone knows that uh, no one is trying to give anyone the short end of the stick and everyone's just trying to be as fair as possible, right? Um, cool. So when do you kind of have that discussion around equity? Personally, I would say both incorporating and the equity discussion, I would not legal advice, but I would recommend that you have that discussion only after you have resolved uh, kind of core uncertainties in the business and you validated some of the assumptions that are kind of critical for the business to run. So what do I mean by that is if you spend a lot of time upfront debating equity, you might end up in a situation where sure you, you may have divided it as quote unquote perfectly as you can, but then when you launch, no one is interested in your product, or maybe you've gone after the wrong type customer, you have wasted a lot of time doing something that is not core to the business. And then you, you, you're, you're in a situation where now you have a lot or maybe a, a small portion of this pie that is really worth nothing. So I would say it, it's better to actually have a small portion of the pie and have the pie be worth a lot more. So if anything, uh, you may want to defer the discussion on incorporation and equity allocation until you've at least validated if this idea is good, if, if there's interest in it, you can always do that. Obviously, on the legal side, there are some benefits to incorporating earlier. So the number one one that I, I personally see is uh, a lot of grants, a lot of competitions, um, so, some loan programs, they require that you've been incorporated for a certain period of time. So that may be one reason why you want to incorporate sooner rather than later. Another one is uh, allocation of um, IP to so intellectual property. So if you have someone building assets for the company and you're worried that they would, uh, you know, let's say walk away, turn around, steal the idea, then obviously when you incorporate, uh, there, there are employee agreements and then you have IP assignment as well. So whoever's working on building your app, your website, or whatever design or solution you have, they're assigning it to the company and they don't own it, right? Um, obviously, if you're incorporating because you don't trust someone, and you want to be able to allocate equity, then that person's probably the wrong fit to begin with. So try to find people that you trust and the, the kind of IP assignment can come later if they're really people that are good people for your business. But again, like there, there's no way you can foresee every possible circumstance. So don't take this as legal advice. Um, so yeah, keep that in mind as you consider, should I incorporate? When should I talk about equity? The other one that I want to touch on that a lot of people don't understand in terms of equity is the difference between uh, stock options versus actually owning shares. It's quite common in the start when you're incorporating the company to actually give people shares upfront. And when you give people shares, usually in uh, at inception, it's easier because at inception, your company is valued at like what zero or Maybe it's like a few cents, right? So at inception, when you give people shares, it doesn't really trigger a tax event. But if people come on board later in the team, like maybe you hire someone who's a founding team member, eventually you want to promote them to becoming a co-founder and you want to give them uh, some percentage of shares. What people don't understand that is if the company is already worth a certain amount, maybe because you've raised some capital, maybe you have some revenue. If your company is worth some amount, and if you're giving shares to people, there are there are two things. So one is when you give shares to someone, that actually counts as income because shares are worth a certain amount. Because at this point, your shares are not worth 0 0.0001 cent, right? 
So when you give people shares, it might trigger a tax event. And that person who's receiving the shares may or may not want that. So uh, that's one way, like if you just give the shares up front. The, the other one is if you give them uh, stock options. So if you give them stock options, the idea here is that uh, they don't have to exercise and get their right to actually purchase the shares now. They don't need to purchase the share right away. Uh, they can do it at a later date. And this defers the tax event, which may be better for them because it, it depends, right? I don't, I don't know if they're going to be bumped up in the tax bracket. But the idea with uh, giving stock options is you may say, okay, um, I'll give you now 20% of the company. Uh, you, you have that as stock options and you can exercise that at any time in the future at the current price that I'm giving it to you today. And then the one thing you want them to be really aware of is when they exercise their rights to those options and they are purchasing those shares, they actually need to put money into your company to buy those shares from you. So sometimes co-founders, they don't understand it. They're, they're like, okay, wait a minute. You just recruited me and I need to pay you to own the shares that I'm entitled to. What does that mean, right? And the reason why that's happening is because with stock options, uh, you are giving them the right to purchase the share at a, at a predetermined date. But obviously, if the company is doing well, let's say if you raise a future round of capital or if you get acquired, those shares are theoretically worth more. So for example, if I say, okay, now you get 100 shares and they are one cent each. So to exercise your, your options, you're actually paying me $100 to get your 100 shares. But in the current market, if my company has already gone public or if it's been purchased, maybe those 100 shares are instead of worth one cent per share, they are worth, uh, sorry, I, I said one cent, but I, I meant $1. So that, that's why it's $100. So instead of being worth a, a dollar per share, now it's, let's say, worth uh, $10 per share. So that person could actually purchase those shares for 100 bucks for 100 shares, turn around to the current market and just sell the, his, his or her shares uh, for $10 per share and actually make a profit of uh, $900 because then by selling it off, offloading it off all of it, uh, they would have made $10,000, right? Sorry, $1,000, my math. Uh, but I think you get the point. So you want them to just really be, be aware and understand the, the difference between getting shares up front versus having stock options. Um, so yeah, just keep that in mind. The, the other thing to know as well is um, as you talk about shares and equity is most oftentimes shares are worth really nothing until you get that exit event. And that exit event is typically number one, if you go public, number two, if you get acquired, number three, if you raise capital, and let's say uh, a fellow investor wants to buy out some of the co-founders shares, or maybe if uh, a fellow co-founder wants to buy shares from another co-founder. So generally shares are really worth nothing without an exit event. And usually it takes most companies anywhere from seven to 10 years in order to reach that type of exit event. So don't worry too much about equity because most of it is really not worth much to begin with. It's really all about the execution. And the other, the other things to be mindful about as you think about like who should get more, um, a founder who started the business uh, a few months ahead isn't that much of a leg up in terms of how much more they should get in terms of equity. It, it is really all about the execution. It, it also doesn't matter who came up with the idea. The idea person shouldn't be entitled to a, a substantial amount of shares more. Um, and also just, yeah, be, be wary of overvaluing certain things. Think like in the long term, how is this person going to be uh, important to the company? 
uh, will they just build it and leave it? Or maybe they will need to continue to maintain the infrastructure and think about uh, how else the tech will grow. So if you can see this person being involved in the long term, then you can justify giving them a bit more equity as well. Uh, another thing to know about shares, if you're not familiar with it, is that uh, there's no such thing as a non-dilution clause. Shares will be diluted as you raise over time. But the idea is, as you raise money, as your company becomes uh, worth more, even if you own less of the company, uh, you still own, you, you still basically make more money. You, you still are valued for more. Um, the other thing to know as well is um, how much shares you own doesn't necessarily dictate control and power in the company. Uh, power and control in the company is primarily through the, the board of directors. So obviously shareholders have the right to vote in board of directors. Uh, and if you are on the board of directors uh, and you have majority control of the board, then usually you have more power or control over the company. Uh, you can be in a situation where you own a lot of the company, but not have power and, and control over your own company. So be mindful of that. Um, so yeah, I think those are some, some key things to think about in terms of equity. Uh, and then I think I'll, I'll wrap up here. And in the next episode, I want to dive into talking about how to find good mentors and advisors, both for yourself personally, but also for your business. So that's it for this episode. Tune in for the next episode to learn about mentors and advisors.